Welcome to Chilliwack AA. I'm your host, Ted S., sober since October 17, 1996, one day at a time. I'm glad you can join us for our podcast on Chilliwack AA. Before I introduce our fabulous guest today, let me tell you a bit about the podcast Chilliwack AA. Chilliwack AA explores the lives of people who have recovered from alcohol through Alcoholics Anonymous. In each of my interviews, my guests will share their experience, strength, and hope with us through a lively discussion of what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now. We will talk about their struggles, successes, and how they remain sober. This podcast strictly adheres to AA's 12 traditions and all general service board guidelines for safeguarding anonymity. No advertising is allowed, and no one receives financial gain from the show. Chilliwack AA and my guests do not speak for or represent AA at large. This podcast is simply my way of giving back to AA what was freely given to me. And now, let me introduce you my guest for today's show, Teresa, for the Chilliwack Roundup 2022. My name is Clifford and I am an alcoholic and I want to welcome you to our uh, uh, Chilliwack District 45 uh, Roundup. Yeah, I'll, I'll be leaving here shortly. Yeah. So anyway, uh, it's, it's uh, my great pleasure to uh, invite uh, Teresa uh, O from Abbotsford to come and speak to us a little bit about corrections. For those who are not aware, uh, hey Ted, do you want to close that door in the back, please? Uh, for those who are not aware, um, in District 45, we do have uh, three federal institutions and one provincial institutions. And in fact, within an hour of here, we've got about uh, eight federal institutions and about a half a dozen provincial institutions. So, uh, Teresa's gonna come and talk to us about the value of being a volunteer in corrections. And after uh, she speaks, if you're interested in, in volunteering in any way in corrections, come and see me after the meeting. We do have some other people here at the or active in corrections as well. So come on up, Teresa, and, and uh, you got 50 minutes. So we're excited to, to hear you. All right. Hello. You guys can all hear me. My name is Teresa, and I'm an alcoholic. Uh, thanks for having me here. Um, I, was just, I was trying to find a quiet place to still my mind <laughs> before, before coming up to speak in front of everyone um, on, on an occasion like this. For me, um, the volunteers that came into corrections have touched my life in such a way that I could give my life of service forever and I, I don't think I would be able to repay what I feel I've received from the love of um, a couple of few very important ladies in AA. Uh, just to give you a little story, a little bit of a background about myself. Um, I, I grew up uh, very fast um, and you know, I can remember feeling from a very young age, I have, I have one sibling, a brother, and um, he always seemed to be the one that uh, stayed out of trouble. You know, mom always referred to 
him and said, why can't you be more like your brother? You know, I, I can remember distinctly from a very, like probably the age of three, feeling like there was something wrong with me. You know, what, what was I, I was never going to be good enough. There was something bad about my nature and I didn't know why or what. And, and, I, and that little trickle of negative thinking really just grew and grew as years went by. And, you know, the, like many women in, in the program and in, in the places I've been in life, um, you know, I had, I had a lot of trauma and some terrible things happened to me and repetitively throughout my life as a very young girl and that was confusing and, and I used to think, you know, by the time I was about 12 and I started experimenting with alcohol and other things, I, I used to think the reason that I, you know, drank and did that stuff the way I did it was because of what had happened to me. Right? And so there was very much this feeling like, um, you know, if I could just fix, get fixed, I just need to fix what's broken inside. And once I'm fixed, I'm going to be okay. I just need to fix this. And, you know, but I could never, I could never really figure it out. I didn't know what was wrong. And, um, you know, it's really unfortunate that, um, that life had to take on the serious and drastic consequences that, they, that it did in mine. Uh, I never would have imagined in a million years that my life would have ended where it did. And in some, some walks of this world, probably people would think that's terrible, like you don't deserve another chance. You should stay locked up in prison forever. Uh, we don't need your kind out here, thank you very much. Like, you know, and so, you know, in, in one sense, you, I live in this dichotomy of, you know, I don't deserve, right? This feeling of, uh, you know, I don't deserve to be forgiven. And to another place where it took such tragedy to occur in my life for me to be able to shift and to be who I am today and where I am today. And with that, um, and because of the help of Alcoholics Anonymous, I've come to be okay with it. I've come to see how these circumstances and the trajectory of my life and where it ended can be used to help someone else be set free. And I never would have had that opportunity if it weren't for some, some volunteers coming into the prison to talk and share with me. And not just talk and share with me, but extend a loving hand of support and continuous support and guidance in my life. Um, by the time I was... Uh, just before my 13th birthday, um, after, you know, starting to drink and, and you know, I, back then I drank with a sense of, like, ridiculousness. It wasn't, you know, I drank far too much, way too much, and, and had no control over, you know, the outcome of how that night ended. Um, I didn't really know any different that there was a problem with how I was drinking or not. I just drank. and. You know, it was all in, like pedal to the middle, right? Uh, or nothing at all. That's the way I've been. And par partially my nature is like that too with whatever I do. I'm a very, very highly motivated person. Um, it's just where I focus that motivation. <laughs> and uh, so by the time I was um, 13 years old, I was a missing child. 
Uh, I had been, you know, coerced by somebody much, much older than me, um, uh, taken out away from my family and put, put into a life that no young girl that age should ever have to be involved in and without any of the skills or knowledge to really know what I was doing, right? And I thought I was a very mature, well-informed young lady, right? And I was, I was convinced by, you know, the people that were taking advantage of that situation that I could look after myself better than my parents were looking after me. And uh, I, I kind of liked that, right? <laughs> I liked that idea. Yeah, I got this. But uh, it didn't take very long for me to recognize the seriousness of where I had ended up. Um, I was trafficked. I was uh, missing, like I said, for about 18 months. I was catapulted into a deeply, deeply entrenched life full of addiction and everything that it has to offer. It was terrifying as a young girl that age. I was six months pregnant when the police finally found me and brought me home. And at that point, I had experimented with every sort of everything. And uh, there was nothing left to see. That's what it, I knew that in my heart. I mean, the party was never there, really, for me from a very young age. It, it, it happened so fast that coming home, I had this very strong resolve that I would never, ever touch any of those substances ever again. I wanted nothing to do with it. It wasn't appealing to me. You know, alcohol, nothing, right? I truly believed to every ounce of my being that I was that. I was never going to go there. It just terrified me. And yet, before hitting nine months pregnant um, and left with the thinking, like the thinking in my head was so futile at that time, I, I never ever wanted to experience what I had experienced again. I was absolutely terrified that I was never going to be able to face life again and, and be a normal kid and have a normal life. I, I, I didn't think I was capable of keeping the child that, was in, that I was carrying. I had a plan, an exit plan, so to speak, like I'm going to get rid of the baby and, um, by, by adoption and, and uh, you know, carry on. And, and really, there were some suicidal thoughts there, like it wasn't worth living, life wasn't worth living, is how it felt. And just kind of trickling in there, this is some kind of sick joke. And I don't want any part of this journey. I'm not having fun. And I'm never going to have a meaningful life. Well, about, like I said, three months into it, I can remember my mind starting to say, you deserve to have some relief, you know. I'm going to counseling, and I'm, I'm, I'm talking to people about what I've been through, and none of it's really working, and, I, and I'm seeking something to make me feel okay and, and, and that my mind will say, well, you know, alcohol never really was your problem. You know, surely you could just have a drink or a little bit of that other green stuff, right? Like, I, I immediately bought into this idea without even thinking twice about it, right? And off I go. And I start, you know, on this path of thinking that I can... I can control what I'm doing, and as long as I stay away from certain people, places, things, I'm going to be okay, and I can cope with this. Um, 
you know, I, I ended up keeping my daughter. Um, she gave me a reason to live, is how I felt in that last moment when I was thinking about whether the, the family I was going to give her away to. And I, and I gathered together all that motivational energy that I have inside, and I said, I'm going to be a mom. I have some purpose, a reason to live. I'm going to look after this child. I'm going to go back to school, and I'm just going to vote. I don't have to be a kid. I don't have to face this. I don't have to explain this, what I've been through. And, and you know, I can, I can have a drink here and there on the side, and that makes me, my life feel a little bit better. And I, and I carried on like that. And you know what? I did tremendously well for somebody who had been through what I've been through. That's the truth. I, I caught up, you know, two years behind in school, graduated on time, you know, seemingly was functioning to a certain degree. But internally, the dialogue that I lived with was incredibly um, shameful. I didn't, I couldn't share, uh, I, I didn't feel close or connected to anyone. I couldn't tell you where I'd been or what I'd done because I had this tremendous fear that if you knew you would want nothing to do with me. I didn't believe that anybody worthwhile would ever want to love me or be with me long term. Um, so I, I was really like head under, you know, the surface just kind of pushing past, trying to survive in the survival gear, right? And in the moments of like my quiet, still, like I, I didn't want to be here. And I just know that I lived that way for a really long time. And because of that, I, start, I, I accepted and made decisions, accepted people in my life that weren't, you know, really that healthy um, because I didn't deserve any better. And, you know, it was only a matter of time, like the ball was in motion and I was, you know, I went to counseling and I did things to try and try and get better and heal. It just never seemed to matter. And, and uh, eventually, the partner that I had, you know, aligned myself up with, he started to get, you know, worse and worse into his own addiction. And and I found myself at a crossroad where m there was a part of me that was saying, "You need to leave. You need to stop and get away from this." Right? And, and I can't bear one more day in this pain that I'm feeling right now. And the only way I could think of bearing that pain for one more day was to join that person and what they were doing. I couldn't stay and not be a part of what was happening. And I wanted to do the right thing and leave, but I didn't believe in my value and worth enough to do that. And so I picked up and off like a freight train. My life was just straight for a crash course. Like, things got bad really fast. I, I tried to get away, I tried to stop. Um, I tried to get help. And, and I couldn't muster the motivation to stay stopped. And they took my daughter from me. And the moment that, they, that I lost my daughter, I gave up because they took my reason for living. I had no reason to live other than her. And uh, that was a dangerous place for me to be. I ended up in a psychiatric unit, you know, didn't, wasn't successful there at that attempt on my life. And uh, deeply, deeply ashamed, um, I ran away and I entrenched myself into a heavy, heavy life of addiction, alcoholism, drugs, like it was bad. And uh, I gave up and I wanted to die. And I never thought, like, 
I was hurting anybody, right? I felt like I have every reason in the world to feel like a victim and, and what I'm going through, and I really couldn't get past that. Um, you know, I, I had no, no, no opportunity really to, to get a hold of the program, Alcoholics Anonymous or any other program during that time. I, I just wasn't well enough to pursue something like that, I would say. And it wasn't really introduced to me at a young age. My first introductory would have been in a, in a detox center, you know, when I'm half alive. Um, and it just was nothing could really sink in. Um, the moment I start to thaw out for a moment, the shame that I'd start to feel was so intense that I couldn't face it. And my, my body would physically say, that's it, we gotta go. I know what's gonna stop this, stop you from thinking and feeling, right? So, fast forward a few years, you know, when you're living a life like that and you don't wanna live, you don't realize, you, you don't know how to, how to stop, um, there's only a few things that can happen, right? First, a lot of people don't make it, they, they die. And, uh, you know, someone like myself, I ended up in, in prison. I had no criminal record prior to that. Um, but the choices that I was making, the people that I was surrounded by, and the, and the desperate, desperate state I was in, um, led me to, to do something I never thought I, I, I was capable of doing. So, when I went to prison, I wasn't, uh, I wasn't overly upset about it because I had been living such a tragic and intense life of survival and I felt incredibly ashamed about what I had done, right? So I was kind of like, yeah, I deserve this. It's probably better off over here. And I had this belief inside that maybe, just maybe, if I could just be removed from all that chaos and the life that had been kind of dragging me along as I felt it was, that I would start to feel better. And I might be able to get help, and I might be able to get fixed, right? And I was, again, in, in that, that firm resolve that I was never going to let what happened happen again in my life. I did not want that to ever happen, so I was going to do whatever it took. Um, and I believed that, but again, you just, there's this thing that goes on internally inside of me, mentally. The thoughts, the thinking in my head are so devastating and so isolating at times. And uh, I just didn't know how to stop that, right? And the fact is that the prison, the physical prison which I was in, I was almost comforted by this idea because the, the true bondage I lived in was internally, emotionally, mentally. I couldn't be around people. I didn't know how to have friendships. I couldn't be my truest self. I didn't know what it was like. I felt uncomfortable alone, and I felt incredibly uncomfortable in a room full of people. Even if those people liked me, I would tell myself that I wasn't, I wasn't lovable. I wasn't going to be liked. I couldn't tell them what I thought and felt. And I knew this going, you know, going through. And I, I threw myself into every program we had to offer. And I, and, I, and I invested, and I tried to be as honest and, and thorough as I could be in every, every opportunity they gave me. Because I'm kind of just, I have that drive naturally, but I would always come out the other side still feeling so isolated and disconnected. And like, 
life was not like worth living. This was, I was not having any fun on this planet. I didn't know if I was ever going to get out. And if they did let me out, I, I had this gut feeling that I was just going to be one of those other people doing the walk of shame coming back in a couple of months. Because I didn't trust that if I continued to feel the way that I did, that I would not be able to stay sober. And I knew that there would be conditions in my life. But I didn't really know how to, how to deal with that, right? So, you know, in that journey, um, there were some people that, like, some meetings and things that I, I went to inside of prison. And I, I would go to a meeting and... There might be lucky to be some, in some cases, there was a few people or, and a volunteer. Sometimes there was no volunteer, you know. It was like the blind leading the blind a lot of the time. Without the volunteer there, we didn't know what we were doing. <laughs> there was no ex- message of experience, strength, and hope. There was a lot of message that I would have heard about, this is my plan and this is how it's going to work this time, <laughs> right? And then I would like observe, being an observer, and I'd see that, yeah, well, that didn't work. They're back, right? They're going out to meetings. They're still coming back. That's obviously not the solution either, right? And so I didn't believe in it. I didn't think, you know. Um, But there was a lady um, who was kind enough to join me today that kept me coming to the meeting. And there was something about this, you know, her spirit and um, there was something about her spirit. She had this strength and this calm security within herself, and yet so loving, you know? And, and you could distinctly feel that she didn't care what you thought about her. She was there to be who she was, you know? And she challenged me, and she'd ask me questions, you know? And, I, and she, like, the first thing she asked me is, are you an alcoholic? And I'm like, eh, I don't think so. I don't, I don't think so, right? I don't know. Like, and, and she, you know, she would send me home with things to read and say, you know, when you read that, and come back and talk to me after. And you know, I didn't think alcohol was my problem. I didn't see myself as an alcoholic, right? And I can remember thinking in there, even though after such tragic, tragic consequences to the life I've been living and all of that. There was this little voice that would go through my mind every once in a while after years of being inside, right? Maybe one day I could have a drink. Why? You know, why is that? Why does my brain say that to me? Like, who cares, right? You shouldn't be thinking that way. And I would think to myself, wow, you know, maybe one day. I didn't know what alcoholism was. I had no idea what I was suffering from. I mean, I was hoping somebody could psychoanalyze it out of me. The counselors, the programs, all this stuff could, you know, somewhere in there I could get a, you know, plan together to manage my emotional nature, you know, figure out how to live life, uh, you know, in a successful way and and hopefully not be so miserable, right? But, um, you know, she spent the time, and, and I literally just came for that connection, that connection, and I felt loved and accepted, you know? And I hadn't been a person who had experienced very many healthy relationships in my life. So that's pretty paramount to me, that somebody was able to offer that. She brought step packages to me, step work, you know, we talked about these things together. 
I started to see some things about myself that I had never seen before. And then she couldn't come in anymore. Um, something happened in her personal life. And, but she kept writing me. She took the time to write me letters. Like, at least, I would say about once a week or a couple times a month, I got a letter from this lady. And I would think to myself, this is just crazy, right? Like, that she's writing me, like this stranger is taking these, you know, sharing what she was sharing. And then I just felt, I felt loved, you know? Like, and she wanted nothing from me. And, uh... You know, it was a very fond feeling. And, and so, you know, I went, I, there were some other ladies that came into that meeting too, and I continued to go to the meetings. At one point, I was, I was given the opportunity to go out to meetings with somebody. And, and, and another woman, you know, she took the time to come into the prison and sit down with me and read the big book and walk me through the steps as outlined in Alcoholics Anonymous. That, there were moments in that period, just over a week, where it was absolutely earth-shattering, like mind-boggling. The whispers that had been happening in my mind, I knew without any doubt in my mind that I was a real alcoholic. I would never have known. I would never have known, right? And I can't tell you how important that is, because I don't need to have a third, fourth, and fifth chance. The, the circumstances of me being in front of you today and being able to be you know, physically free from prison are pretty serious. I don't have a chance in me. If I go out and pick up a drink and I allow that to take its course in my life, I'm going back there. And I don't get a, a release date, you know? And all the shame and everything will just come right back in, right? And so I can't afford to think that there's somehow a way that I can put something, some type of substance in my body and I'm going to be okay. I can figure it out and control it. Because the delusion of that is pretty serious. Like, I just had a friend go out just on that notion. But it wasn't alcohol, really. It wasn't that. It wasn't really my problem. I'm going to be okay, right? Um... Going through the 12 steps again, right, in another fashion, like continuing this journey became really uh, life-changing for me. As I went through my fourth step and I poured my heart out with that same level of motivation that I've given my life, it was like, she said, prove it wrong, Teresa, right? See. See if, you know, see if it's wrong. Give it 100%. You can't prove it wrong unless you give it 100%. So I did. I said, well, yeah, if you're going to do it, I might as well give it 100%. I saw things that I never, I never realized about myself, right? Like, what was driving me? What was causing me all this discord inside, right? All these false beliefs and programming that I had inside and how I was making all of these decisions based on fear and stuck in this victim right? Which I didn't want to, you know, I saw myself as a survivor, right? A victim. And here I was, and, and I was able to let it go. And, uh, you know, further to that, you know, someone, I, I got honest, right? Just, I, I did a very thorough fifth step with, a, with a, another volunteer, 
a woman came in and sat with me and listened to my whole story. I didn't know her. I've never seen her or met her since, and I disappeared into the ether. I know she's around somewhere, but, you know, that, that moment is incredibly freeing, right? To cast all of that stuff out. Um, and, and then the kick and the push, like, you, you better get out there and share this with others, right? Your life depends on it your service, and I'm inside still, and I'm thinking to myself, there's no way, like, how am I going to do this inside here, that's, that's what I thought, you, nobody's going to share these personal things that you shared with me, like, to me in here, like, we do all that, and, and she just said, you know, a simple prayer, can you pray, just follow the discipline, be willing, ask, you know, and sure enough, you know, much to my surprise, I have people knocking at my door within, like, a week, and for the next year or two that I was there, wanting to go through the big book and trusting me, you know. And from that place, I developed a connection with people for the first time. Intimacy that I was starving for, right? A feeling of love. And, and it was okay, you know. My, I, I wasn't ashamed of my past. I wasn't judging people for theirs. And I felt that all that bad that I had been through had to, could be used for good. And I was free. Like, I was so free, I didn't care that I was in jail. I could have stayed there forever because I felt so full inside. I had never felt full, you know, of relationship. And I didn't need everybody to love me and like me. I just had a few people that were meaningful, right? And, um, you know, I think about how incredible Alcoholics Anonymous and the 12 steps has been in my life. The things that it has given me that nothing else on this planet can give me. I have a level of self-awareness and responsibility within myself today that nothing in life could have taught me but AA, right? When I went ahead and I needed to go up in front of the parole board and ask all those really difficult questions, I was able to answer them with honesty and integrity and put shame to the side and risk looking like a terrible human being for a moment to tell them the truth about what my motives were. And just that action alone, I believe, is the reason that I got out when I did. Because there was a level of accountability and truth there that you couldn't argue and debate. So, you know, records were broken in my case. The, the fact is, I was the first lifer to get parole on the first try up in the history of that women's federal prison. That's miraculous, and I do say that's because of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I can remember after the hearing, sitting in the waiting room for this decision to be made, and I, was, I, I looked over at the people that are supporting me, and I'm like, I don't know why, but I feel like they might let me go. And if they let me go, I'm gonna go around this whole prison and tell every single person in here it's because of the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I'm gonna preach that because I know what I went through right now, I would not have been able to do if I had not done that fourth step and fifth step and been working the way I had been. 
And sure enough, you know, and I did, I walked around, I was so excited. I'm like, you gotta do the 12 steps, man. Like, it's totally, totally silly, right? But it, that's how impactful it was for me. And, you know, and, I, and then transitioning into the community, I had no idea where I was going, where I was gonna land, where long-term, you know, the supports and those precious people that I have in my life. I thought I was saying goodbye. I thought I was gonna have to create a new, right? And yet, they're right here with me today. Like, I just got placed, and it, it's, I can't get, they can't get rid of me. <laughs> you know, and the journey continued, right? And I, and I began to feel my value and worth even more, and that I wasn't my past and my stigma and all this other stuff. And, you know, I didn't have to question and go through that song and dance when I got out, you know. I can tell you that I know many other people that are in my circumstance that have been in prison and released that didn't have that opportunity that I was given. And they had to do that, that experiment with the idea that I could probably have a drink, right? It's probably not that bad. And I've watched how that's taken off and landed them right back where they were over and over again. Because after you've been inside for eight, 10, 15 years, your mind is surely going to be telling you, you've been away from it for long enough, you should be okay by now, right? You probably can handle it this time. You've taken so many programs and had so much counseling and so much time to reflect on what you've done. You're gonna be okay this time. You don't know what you're suffering from if, no, if you haven't been given the opportunity to understand it the way I was given it. The only reason I'm successful is because I understand the illness that I have. I found a solution that works, and that I have the support in the community to keep, to keep doing that every day, right? Like, the complacency, being sober for years and years is, you know, it, sometimes it's almost a little bit more dangerous. Like, early on, that first year, like, the fear is still biting at your butt, you know? Fear can keep you sober for a time. It may not make you keep you happy and sober or emotional sobriety, but it can keep you sober for a time. And, and after years and years of kind of being there, you start to get a life together. You think, yeah, I got this. Like, I got my job, I got my house, my family, right? Things are moving along. And all of a sudden, hey, you know what? A drink would be really nice right now. Why, right? Where does it come from? Like, um, you know, I have a discipline in my life to continue to go to my home group. I have somebody that cared enough about me to understand how the value in having a routine. I have coffee with, you know, one of my best friends, you know, who is the, one of the volunteers that came in on, on almost a weekly basis. And if I don't show up every week, I'm telling you, I get, I get the score. <laughs> but it's generally because I'm cheap. Like at first I was afraid of disappointing, but then I realized she truly wants to spend time with me. Like she misses me, okay? Like it's not, you know, somebody trying to keep tabs on me. It's genuinely like I'm depriving her of that connection and what she craves and looks forward to. You know, how cool is that? I'm wanted and I'm loved and I'm valued and there's been so many opportunities for service. And I think about it like, I didn't think I was able or capable of giving what I had received, you know? If somebody hadn't said, just don't think about it, 
get out there and do it, right? And shut and go do it. You know, I wouldn't have seen that. I don't, it's not some miraculous scholarly thing. It's literally just a willingness to be there and to be intimate and to share and to read and to walk someone down that path you've walked through, right? And uh, there's no greater thing in my life than that. That is the truth. You know, in work today, I've been given incredible opportunity. Incredible. I have no business having the job I have. They shouldn't have it. Like I was told, you're never going to have this kind of job or this kind because you have a record and you have this and you have that, right? None of that mattered. None of it. Because Alcoholics Anonymous has given me things that I, I didn't know were possible. And, you know, where there's a will for God in my life, he makes a way. And that, you know, that it continues to foster in every area of my life, like, I was just chatting with the lady out front, you know. I wouldn't be able to do my job without Alcoholics Anonymous and what it does for me every day. If I don't, if I don't wake up in that spiritual program of action, I'm going to be smashing my head against the wall real fast and getting tight and miserable and insecure, right? I have to stay connected. And my body and my mind will sometimes try to get me to drift away. That's the truth. I wish I had been washed way to snow but like I find myself going through these little periods where I start to feel a little isolated whatever I've convinced myself is more important in life in this moment right and if I get away from that program those days of action that I've been given I start to suffer quickly you know I feel the discord the irritable kind of insecurity discontent disconnected and I immediately get scared because I know that that's what's behind a drink for me, right? And I don't have to feel that way. And so I throw myself back into service. I keep coming, you know, to the program. I keep doing the disciplines, and I have a pretty darn good life today, you know? I, I, showed, I came here today because of, you know, the gratitude that I have in my heart. I wish that every person that was inside, had the same opportunity that I have. Because having that work, kind of that foundation before I was released has been paramount in my success. There's not, not a tool or a program that they could have given me in prison that would have, that would have given me long-term sobriety. Nothing. I tried it all, right? So. Unfortunately, you know, it, it is what it is, but it's not always easy. Um, for me to go inside, it's a lot more challenging to get in there. But for other people who are interested, what I would say is, you know, don't be afraid to, to explore that. You might find yourself gifted with the treasures that you could never have imagined. Um, People, when they're there, are often quite desperate and broken and willing, right, to do whatever it takes. The moment they bridge across to freedom, the willingness dissipates a little bit, I find. Because there's so many other options. There's, there's a lot of choices we're given today in, in the world, right? And so they're, oh yeah, but that looks like a better idea over there. I think I'm going to go over there. It looks a little bit nicer, you know? But when you have very few choices, 
and you've tried everything you, there is to offer, and you're still feeling the way that you're feeling, and somebody offers you an opportunity, you're willing to take it a lot of the time, right? Um, so thank you, right? Thank you to Alcoholics Anonymous. Thank you to my sponsor and to other ladies and other familiar faces I see here that have taken the time to go in and share a message with the women in corrections. And please um, continue to, to show up. Thanks for being here today. coming, sharing your hope, your strength, and your experience with us. And uh, what a power of example, one alcoholic talking to another, the difference that we can make, right? Yeah, so thank you very much. Yeah. So just a little bit of a plug, we're always looking for volunteers and corrections. You can help, you don't even have to physically go in. There's opportunities like, like uh, Teresa was sharing about uh, writing a letter or being a, a, on the phone contact list or supporting a corrections committee in your district. And districts can have corrections committees even if they don't have an institution. Uh, they can support institutions uh, uh, next to them or near to them or whatever. So there's a lot of opportunity if you're interested in, in volunteering in any way. Uh, check out with your district. Uh, Please do. So, that's it. We'll close with the uh, serenity prayer. Thank you. God, I grant you serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, Well, my friends, that's it for this episode of Chilliwack A Podcast. I want to thank my guest, Teresa, for sharing her story, and thank you for tuning in. This podcast can also be heard on Spotify, Anchor, Amazon Music, Google Play, and SoundCloud. Or visit our website, www.chilliwackaa.org. Listen to every interview, share your thoughts, and comment on our website. Sign up on our website to never miss a podcast, and receive an email the minute a new podcast is posted. By the way, this podcast strictly adheres to AA's 12 traditions and all general service board guidelines for safeguarding anonymity online. If you want more information about AA, please visit www.aa.org. The next episode of Chorak AA podcast is coming soon. Please keep coming back.